So I want to give a shout out to Kurt Warner again for last week. Thank you, brother, for uh, coming and sharing with us and uh, just so touched me in such a powerful way last week. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and watch that message um, as, as it was just an awesome, awesome way to see, see the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but also just to see where it meets us in our real life. And when you think about real life and you think about this season, this time of the year, for many, many centuries, the church has celebrated what is called Advent. It's going back as far as the 5th century. Uh, many denominations still continue that tradition today. Traditionally, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas and leading up to Christmas Eve, they celebrated four themes, hope, peace, joy, and love. And what you see in front of me, this Advent wreath, uh, each of these candles represents one of those themes with the fifth one being the surprise at the end. But this morning we lit a candle in respect to hope. Isn't that ironic that the first theme that we're going to talk about in this series is hope? Something that's very dear and near to who we are. Now, when you look back at church history, um, one of the things that happened with, with, with the Protestant, um, the coming of the Protestant churches is many of them broke from some of these traditions. Um, they broke from the celebrations that had existed and they stuck with things that stuck, went back straight to, to the Bible. But today, as we go through this and we celebrate this through the next few weeks, we're looking at this from the biblical standpoint of how Jesus brought hope, how Jesus brought peace, how he brought joy, and how he brought love. So for the next month, we're going to celebrate this and how the gospel has brought us all of these things. So when we hear words like peace on earth, goodwill toward men, or have a merry Christmas, or tis the season, embedded within these phrases, within the carols that we sing, within the gift giving, these four themes not only encompass the reason for the season, but they serve to focus our attention on the person of Jesus Christ, his first coming, his first advent, parousia, and now we wait in tension, in expectation for the next time that Jesus is coming back. So today I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 15. And as you're going to see each week, these are not necessarily Christmas passages. But wouldn't you agree that every passage in the scripture points to Christmas? Because every passage in scripture points to Jesus. And so as we break these apart when we look at peace we're going to look at Ephesians 2 and how Jesus came and he made peace not just uh, taking away tension but he came to tear down dividing walls that exist between us when we look at joy we're going to look at first Peter and we're going to hear this call to rejoice in the joy that that Christ produces it's more than an emotion when we look at the theme of love in that fourth week we're going to look at the love the pure love of Jesus Christ, and that in this love, according to Ephesians 3, we will take a moment to recall the promise, the promise that God was going to send Jesus Christ. And so then when we come to Christmas Eve, and I don't want you to miss Christmas Eve, 
In fact, when you look at this beautiful stage, when you look at this setting, this is actually for you to have a tool. This is a tool for you that during the next four weeks, who will you invite to come to church? We don't want this just to be a cozy environment. We want this to be something that when you leave this place, that you're like, you know what, I can't wait to go invite so-and-so to come with me to church. It's a tool. And you don't want to miss out that day. We're going to have a telling of the Christmas story to the kids. It's going to be 9 and 10.30. There's no groups. Kids are going to be in here with us. We're going to tell the Christmas story. We're going to take communion. We're going to light candles. We're going to sing Silent Night. It's going to be an awesome worship experience. But all of this is because of what Jesus did for us. I want you to think about the next four or five weeks of this series in regard to how can I exalt Jesus. If we're to pursue God daily, and we believe that one of the ways we do that is in our worship, let's worship the next four or five weeks. Let's exalt Jesus like we've never exalted him before. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to stand as we read from Romans chapter 15, starting in verse number 7. And as you look at this, I want you to hear three things as far as an outline is concerned. I want you to look for the command that Paul is going to give, the reason that he gives that command, and in that last verse, a plea or a prayer that he's going to offer. It says, therefore, accept one another. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Accept one another. Yeah, that, that's actually in the Bible. Accept one another. Why? Just as Jesus Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. In fact, some early Greek manuscripts reads you. Changing from the plural, uh, second person plural in the imperative to the singular, singular use of the pronoun you. Just as you, he makes it very personal. Just as you have been accepted. He goes on to say in verse 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant, a deacon, to the circumcision, or the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers. That's the justification. But then, this is the cool thing, he's going to lace in all of these Old Testament passages of how the Gentiles were to be included in the gospel. He says, for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, in Isaiah, this is the Christmas passage. There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. You and I are Gentiles. And in this verse, this plea, this prayer, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope. The God of hope will help you to abound in hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into your word in the next few moments, Lord, let your word speak as we celebrate this Christmas season in a fresh and a new way. Let us recall and remember today the hope that you have given us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
and you can have a seat. All right, so I want you to turn your page backwards to chapter 14. The book of Romans was written by Paul the Apostle to a church in a city that he had not yet seen. In other words, Paul is writing to people he didn't know. So he's writing to this church, and the primary problem going on in this church is you've got Jewish believers who, who knew the oracles of God. They knew the feasts, the festivals, the, the practices, the rites, all those things, the Jewish culture. But then over here on this other side, you had the Gentile believers. And there was tension between those two groups. In fact, if you want to look at it this way, you had the Jews that probably were carrying a sense of arrogance because they were the, the chosen people of God, the covenant people of God. But now that Jesus had come and brought forth the new covenant, that new covenant would include Gentiles. And when you study church history, one of the first problems in the church, other than the fact that the Hellenistic Jews were not being served, was this propulsion of a false gospel where there were what we call Judaizers in, in this day and time. It was Jewish believers who were telling the Gentiles if they did not get circumcised, they were not saved. Circumcision being a Jewish cultural practice. And so in Acts 15, the church has to get together and solve this problem. And they come out with this statement, you are saved by grace and Jesus alone. When you are saved, anything you add to that gospel is heresy. And so no, the Gentile did not have to be circumcised to be saved. What must I do to be saved? Well, Jesus did it on the cross. What do I do in response to that gospel? I repent and I receive his word. That's what I do to be saved. And so as he's writing to these, he's trying to, listen, the best book on understanding salvation to me is the book of Romans. As he begins to bear out what it means to be, why we are sinners and how we receive that, 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 that sin nature and, and what, the, what it means to, to accept Christ and the infilling of the Spirit. And in chapter 12, begins to give practical application for how to live. But then he gets to 14. And in chapter 14, he starts out by saying this. He says, now accept the one who is weak in faith but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. The word for accept is proslambano. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's actually a compound word. Lambano in the Greek means to take to oneself. Excuse me, to take. Proslambano means to take something to yourself. So, so in Acts, there's a, there's, a, there's a verse that talks about how someone took food to themselves, they proslambanoed, if I can put that in, a, in an English way. And so what he is saying here in 14 that he's going to pick up again in 15, 17 is this idea of accepting one another, taking them to yourself. Like if I were to just go up to you right now and receive you to myself, I'd wrap my arms around you, taking you to myself, accepting you no matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, no matter if you're strong in the faith or weak in the flight, there, there, there is, there's, there's no difference at the foot of the cross. And so what Paul is calling them to realize is this. Listen, Jewish believer, you may believe that you shouldn't eat these certain foods. But I'm telling you in this new age, in fact, we see this in the book of Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. 
When Peter is called to go to Cornelius' house, before he goes, he sees this vision. And in this vision, there's all these foods that the Jews weren't supposed to eat. And now God is saying, look, what I've declared to be holy and clean is holy and clean. And so he goes to Cornelius' house that according to Jewish culture, he's not supposed to step foot inside a Gentile's home. And he does, and he begins to share with them about Jesus. And all of a sudden, I mean, Cornelius was already a believing man, and so the Spirit comes on them. And the Jews that were with them are astounded that now the Holy Spirit had been given to those who were not Jew. What better picture of hope can we have today? That no matter what culture you are, no matter where you have been, no matter what your bloodline is, no matter what your race is, Jesus is for everyone. And that was the point that he was talking about in this book, and he's trying to call them to stand down, to stop putting the weak down, to stop pushing them away. You know, it blows me away sometimes the way that we practice the celebrating of Christmas actually makes people feel hopeless. Is there any weight heavier to carry than the man who's working his fingers to the bone but doesn't have enough money to go buy Christmas presents for his kids? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I remember one Christmas, my dad, my dad carried cash. He still carries cash. I, I don't know if he carries a card. He might. I, I don't really know. But my dad carried a big old billfold. And in that billfold, he kept his Christmas money. And I remember this one Christmas where he went, he was supposed to go buy Christmas presents when he got off shift. And my dad drove to Bethlehem, Georgia six times a day in an 18-wheeler, hauling chicken guts. Lovely, right? Well, when he was connecting one of his trailers, his wallet fell out of his pocket. So here's my dad, and he had lost all of our Christmas money. But let me tell you a story of hope in that moment. One of the yard hands found his wallet who was of a different race. He didn't steal my dad's money. He found my dad and gave my dad's wallet back. You know why? My dad actually took them Christmas presents. And they had a relational connection. And in this season, what better way to celebrate Christmas than to ask the question, how am I in my relationships? Where am I in my relationships? Because like I said, in this passage, you see this command to accept one another. You see this reason, which is Jesus did it. (laughs) What better reason than we have to do anything that we do that Jesus did it? We ought to mimic exactly what Jesus did. We ought to go where Jesus went. We ought to embrace those that Jesus embraced. And if you look at Jesus' life, he embraced a whole lot of people that would make us feel very uncomfortable. I hate that this world still has racism. I hate that this world still has prejudice in it, prejudice in it. But you know who can stop that? We can. We can make the commitment that we are not going to look at people any other way than Jesus looked at them. In fact, there's a story about a young couple who moved to a neighborhood. And the next morning while they were eating breakfast, the young woman sees her neighbor out hanging wash on the clothesline. Yes, children, there were clotheslines back when we actually had to walk across the TV and turn the knob to change the channel. Yeah, we were in black and white too. Um, But no, I mean, here she's looking out the window. She says, that laundry's not very clean, she said. She doesn't even know how to wash correctly. I mean, look at that. She doesn't even hang it up right. And, and, And she probably needs some better laundry soap. 
And her husband just looked on, but he remained silent. And every time the neighbor would hang up the wash to dry, the young woman would make the same comments. So about a month later, the woman was surprised. She woke up to see nice, clean clothes on the line, and she said to her husband, Look, she's learned how to wash correctly. See the conclusion she drew? I wonder who taught her how to do this better. I think the husband laughed, chuckled. How's it the Grinch laughs in his throat? (laughs) He laughed in his throat and said, I got up early this morning and I cleaned the windows. (laughs) But wait a minute, wait a minute, y'all are laughing. But you know that's true about you too. How much joy do we miss when we're blinded by our judgmentalism? Like, I mean, she, she had no desire that this woman hanging her clothes on the line, she had no desire for her to have hope. You know, the problem with hope is a lot of times we see that hope is for us. And we become this catch can that we like the blessings and the promises of God. And we like, oh, here's my, here's my God box. I'm going to put my little bit of hope in here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my little joy in here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this. This is my box. Nobody touched my box. But like water that doesn't flow, it'll stagnate. You're not meant to be a box. You're meant to be a conduit. This light, this hope is something that burns in our hearts. And that burning in our hearts should be seen by others. Let your light shine before men, not in your closet. Jesus didn't tell them to go put their, put their light in the closet. He told you to go pray in the closet. He told you to put your life, light up so all could see it. And so as we dig into this, I want you to look with me at 15.1. He says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just to please ourselves. Well, okay, that's fine and dandy, but where do I see somebody else not pleasing themselves. We, it says each of us ought to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. That means building up. That means building up. Laura started one of our traditions last night. We have a Lego um, house that we've had now for two or three years. And, and she and, and some of the kids sat down to start building it up. And that's the call here is that you shouldn't be going around saying, hey, man, you shouldn't be eating that. Or, hey, you know what? You really should be, at, you should be having church at 1030. You ought to be having it at 11. Come on. Look at the things that we let divide us. You read this Bible translation, but I read this Bible translation. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who cares? If all we're doing is nitpicking and judging what somebody else is doing or not doing, we're missing out on hope. Because hope is what is in the future. It's what is to come. In fact, this candle also can be seen as the candle of prophecy. Listen, I, I know I love this world and I love the things, some of the things of this world. But the world to come has a whole lot more for me. And it has a whole lot more for you. And we must realize this hope that Christ provides. It's not just for us. This hope, it's also for our enemy. It's also for our overbearing boss. It's for our nagging neighbor. It's for that bully we had in school. It's for our wayward loved ones. It's for them too. You just came back from Thanksgiving. And some of you ate way more than you should have. I did. I stepped on the scale this morning. I went, oh, Lord. I guess it's oatmeal for lunch and breakfast the rest of this week. 
Some of you came back and you looked over and you saw that empty chair because of a lost loved one. Or maybe you looked over and saw that empty chair because of somebody in your family that just left the family hurt and offended and they're just mad. Or maybe you showed up at that family meal and you were reminded of that loved one that's struggling with drugs and alcohol and has an addiction. And there's brokenness in that. In fact, if we're all honest today, everyone in this room needs hope because everyone in this room is broken. In fact, this morning in our pastoral prayer time, I'm going to quote, we have, we have, we have uh, given Fred a title. He is Father William Fred. And as we are sharing this morning, uh, he threw his hands up like whatever. It's a term of endearment. But as we're sharing this morning, we all got to begin talking about the brokenness in our own lives. And we begin to be thankful that we have a pastoral staff that's authentic about our brokenness. But in that moment, we begin to talk about how we can't really help someone else who's broken until we realize how broken we are. And Fred said this, until you reach that point of hopelessness, you don't comprehend the literal tangibility of hope. What an awesome statement. That until you come to the end of yourself, till you realize just how hopeless the things of this world are and your attempts at this world, can you look up and see the fullness of the hope that is in Jesus Christ? And that beckons us to worship. That calls us to think about Christ in such a different way. It changes my focus, my direction, my motivation. In fact, it ought to change me. It ought to change me. So, so where can I find this hope? Well, let's look at this passage again. In verse number seven, there's hope in restoration. There's hope in restoration. Just, just before this, in verse number four, he talks about how there were things written in earlier times for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scripture, we might have Hope, And then he talks about this idea of unity and being in one mind and accord in verse number six. Then he says, therefore, therefore is a concluding statement. Therefore, therefore what? Because we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, because Jesus bore our affliction, because we're being called to, be, to have perseverance and encouragement, to be of the same mind, to be of one accord so that we can glorify God, therefore, accept one another. It's the command. Again, there are two groups that are reading this letter, the Jews and the Gentiles. And within that, there's a group, the strong and the weak. But either way we look at this, Jesus Christ has accepted us in his self-denial, his sacrifice. He gave everything for us. He restored our broken relationship with God. And now as a result of that, he is asking you and he's asking me, to extend the same restoration to others. Some of you today, you, you're sitting in here and you feel all alone. Even surrounded by, by masses of people, you can still feel alone. Can you find the hope in Christ? By the fa- can you find hope in the fact that Christ has accepted you? That Christ longs to forgive you? That Christ wants to restore you in relationship? And he's calling those of us that have experienced this hope to take that hope and extend it to others. 
Why? He gives the reason for the glory of God. I mean, we're not as important in the cosmos as we think. God loved you enough that he sent his son to die on a cross so that your sin could be forgiven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit was raised back to life because the the curse of sin is death. So by being raised back to life, Jesus can give you the free gift of life. And then if you and I die before Jesus comes back, he's promised that he would raise us from the dead. That's awesome. That's the future. And that's where our future hope has to rest. So I want you to think about people in your life right now. And I bet there's someone in your life that you have pushed away and avoided because they're a little off. Maybe they're a little different. They're just not like you. But what would it look like if you brought Christmas cheer to them, reaching out to them in some way, doing something radically different? At the end of, this, at the end of our service today, Shannon is going to share one way that you could do that. But I really think individually in this room, some of you are feeling very challenged when the Bible says you need to accept one another. There's somebody in your life that you've pushed away for too long. And today's the day for you to say, God, how could I find hope in the restoring of that relationship? Point number two, there's hope in the promises. There's hope in the promises. I feel like that's kind of a resounding gong in all of my messages. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's God's word that brings us hope. And in his word are his promises. And so therefore, that's what I ought to stand on. Not my philosophy, not my opinions, not my perspectives, but the promises. So Paul gives the reason for that command. You accept one another because Jesus did it for both groups. Jesus came for the Jew. He came for the Gentile. He doesn't hold any ethnic group one above another. In verse 6 and verse 8, it says Jesus became a servant, a diakonos, a deacon, the ultimate model of service. But it's not limited to one's people group. It's not limited to our family. It's not limited to our region. God's family is a multi-ethnic family of all colors and all nationalities. And I think the danger sometimes of living in rural North Georgia is we forget there's a world outside of rural North Georgia. How can we say that God is a God of restoration if he's limited to one people group? In fact, it's heretical to ever say that God is limited. We are limited. We're limited when we put on cultural and ethnic binders looking out our window that needs to be cleaned and we place value on anyone based on their color, their nationality, what street they live on, how much money they have. God is a God of restoration and has promised to save the whosoever will. And a lot of times the whosoever will is the people that we're keeping at arm's length. Regardless of our color, our age, our nationality, our culture, social status, or wealth, the only sure hope that you and I can have today is that Jesus promised. That's it. And from that, it ought to stir within us. That's why, why he then begins to quote all of these Old Testament passages. I think it's directed to those Jewish believers to remind them all throughout the Old Testament, you see it represented that God intended to extend this hope beyond the Jewish people to all nations. Was that not the basis of the Abrahamic covenant? 
when he says, I'm going to raise up within from you a people and you, they will be a blesser of all nations. All nations, not just a few people, not select people, but all nations. So he begins in 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty at the end of David's life. And he says, therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations. In fact, that was so important that it's quoted again or written again in Psalm 1849. That the Davidic king, the one through whom Christ would come, is declaring all nations to worship. He quotes Deuteronomy 32, 43 from the law. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, the nations and the Jews. And then he begins to talk about how he would restore his people and bring them back. And we just studied Malachi and saw how God brought that to fruition. He quotes Psalm 117, one of the shortest psalms in the Bible. Two verses. Praise the Lord, all the nations, laud him, all peoples. Not just the Jews. For his loving kindness, his hesed. That's my favorite Greek, uh, Hebrew word, by the way. Because you can't really translate it into English. It's like, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's benevolent love of God that has no restraint. It's great toward us and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Why? Because that loving kindness is great. And his truth never ends because he is truth. And then he quotes our Christmas passage. Isaiah eleven ten. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. The root of Jesse who will stand as a signal for all the people. The promised Messiah. Jesse was David's father, remember? But it makes me recall 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, the Davidic covenant where God says to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your descendant after you who will come forth and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and his throne of his kingdom will be forever. Do you see the point? The point is that the hope the Jews had in the promise of Christ is now the hope that the Gentiles now have in Christ led and still leads to the glory of God among the nations. When we sit silent, when we don't live in the hope that Christ has provided, then how can my candle burn and illuminate a lost and a dying world? Until I have embraced and experienced that hope, there's no way that I can extend that hope to other people. One author says this about about this tension being brought together. A united fellowship of Jews and Gentiles carries the gospel of reconciliation to the world. How can I be reconciled to the world when I can't be reconciled to my brother? After all, a message of reconciliation could only be communicated through a reconciled community. So we celebrate Christmas and we hear stories. We hear stories of people stampeded for, on Black Friday, for Black Friday deals. Family members left out because of fallouts. They, no one can even remember why. Of drunkenness and partying on Christmas that leads to debauchery and lawlessness. Something tells me that's backwards. But what if we look at Christmas from God's standpoint? That every one of us stands in need of God's grace today that we're broken, and in our brokenness, we need hope. And that when we know that that hope is Christ, then we can extend that same hope to other people that are broken. So what about for you? What could you do different this year, radically different to extend hope, to extend that hope to someone else that may be radically different from you? 
Not just the people that maybe you've had a falling out with that you need to accept and bring back, but people that you don't even know because you've already, already made a judgment about their value before you've even gotten to know them. How could it look different? See, we have hope in the restoration of that relationship. This, this restoration is based on his promises. So point number three, that gives us hope for joy and peace. He says in verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you. This is, a, this is in the optative mood. That does not roll off the tongue. The Greek rolls off the tongue a little better than optative. But it's, it's the mood in, that, in the Greek language of wish, desire. He says, so I wish for you that the God of hope, what God? The God of hope, the God of prophecy, the God of the future will fill you right now with joy and peace in believing. You see, we saw the command to accept. The reason that we accept other people is because Jesus did. But why is this prayer important? Because I'm going to test you. I want you to say joy. Say joy. Some of you just said it like this, joy. See, I can say a lot of things. I can say you need hope. But you know how that hope is real when you begin to know who I am. You begin to get to know me on a better level and I get to know you on a better level and I hear how hope is impacting your life. And that when that God of hope fills me with joy, now say joy, say it with a big grin on your face. Joy, that's that's, that's this, this exuberant, just passion. It's more than happiness. It's that state of being where you find contentment and peace, this, this place of tranquility, isn't just the removal of negative emotions. It's when I know that God's got all the things around me in and under his control. And in that, I can find hope. By referring to the God of hope, Paul is looking to the future, the hope of complete restoration at Christ's next coming. He came once, born of a, in a manger to a virgin Mary. The next time he comes... He's coming to judge and to rule. And that's our future hope. Strengthened, rooted, grounded, able to comprehend and to know Christ's love, to be filled to the full as Ephesians 3 talks about. Don't you want that kind of joy? Don't you want that kind of peace? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned away from your lifestyle and turned to Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him as your savior? Because if you're still walking down the path of sin and then you go, well, I just don't understand why my life is unraveling. I don't understand why things are so bad in my life. It could be, not always, but it could be because you're still trying to live in the world and you're not living for the hope that Christ has given you. Because that fourth point, the fourth point is this, there's hope in the Holy Spirit. There's hope in the Holy Spirit. The promise of God, the person of God living inside of believers, that's at work in us. When Jesus left this world, he said, I'm going to send another. And Ephesians 1.13 says that that is kind of a down payment of our inheritance that we will someday have. The Spirit living inside of us right now. The promise that God is with us. He's with us still. Living inside of those of us that have accepted Jesus as 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 our Savior. And in that... In that interaction, in that relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, we find hope. How many of you wrote letters to Santa when you were little? 
I just saw a whole bunch of grown men raise their hands before the women. That's awesome. (laughs) How many of you grown people love to see your kids write those same letters? I mean, we used to, like, take the JCPenney catalog and we'd cut it out. Like, we didn't want to just write it. We needed to make sure we gave a picture for reference. Nowadays, kids just text you, Dad, this is what I want. But didn't you have such joy? And you take that letter and you fold it up, put it in the envelope, and somehow it just magically disappeared. But for weeks, those kids were expecting, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. To owe to be a child again and have that same expectant joy. Are y'all with me? Come on. Let the inner child in you come out for just a moment and live in the same expectancy for Christ to return someday as you did when you wrote that letter. And we can have that hope and we can interact with that hope because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have this command to accept one another. The reason is because Jesus did it and now the result is this prayer that we may abound, thrive is the word, in hope. You know what I want us to do today is I want us to realize the hope that Christ provides. We need to realize the hope that Christ provides. Now, I don't know if you've noticed anything out of place on this stage. But there is something out of place. On October 2nd, 1950, the world met a young man named Charlie Brown. Charles Schultz brought to life many characters that met us readers in the real life from crushes on little redheaded girls to connection to our baby blankets to friends pulling away the football and calling us a blockhead. Fifteen years later, in 1965, CBS would first air a Charlie Brown Christmas. And in this episode, if you're familiar, if you're not, it's your homework is to go watch Charlie Brown today. Charlie Brown's put in charge of the Christmas play to lead a group of ragtag friends who are not necessarily wanting to follow his lead. And Charlie Brown truly wants to embrace the reason for the holiday, but feels this pressure of commercialization. In fact, his own dog decks out his his doghouse. So during the midst of practice, he's like, you know what, we need a tree. And so he goes and he... He buys this, I mean, I wonder if it was just a cut off the bottom of another tree. But he puts a ball on and it droops over. And they're all calling him a blockhead. Charlie Brown, what are you thinking when you have all these other trees that you could have bought? This is what you brought back. How hopeless that tree looked, didn't it? do Do you feel the hopelessness? So here they are, they're on the stage, and he sets that tree on top of the piano as they're mocking him. And all of a sudden he says, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And in another picture of hopelessness to the side stands Linus, clutching his security blanket and sucking his thumb. Right or wrong? All of us have seen Charlie Brown Christmas, I think. But the picture of insecurity, the picture of the person who really didn't have it together is standing in the background, clutching a security blanket, sucking his thumb, 
pulls his finger out of his mouth, drops that blanket, says, sure, Charlie Brown, I'll tell you all about Christmas. Lights, please. No, don't turn the lights off. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord appeared appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were... Say, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, which is Christ the Lord. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The picture of hopelessness all of a sudden eclipsed by the truth of the hope that we have in Christ. So I don't know about where you are today. Hope has come. Hope has appeared, and when Jesus was born and was announced to unworthy, unwanted shepherds in their field, this tree, though not one person could ever, ever put this up in their, their home, represents us today. Saggy and droopy and broken. But I'm telling you, if you want Christmas to be different this year, embrace the brokenness that you are. Find hope in Christ, and in doing so, take that hope to somebody else. So this morning, as we get ready to stand and sing, in just a few minutes, Shannon's going to get up, and she's going to share something really cool with you. You already know what it is. But some of you are new to Ebenezer, and you may not know about giving Christmas away. And she's going to explain it. But here's my challenge to you. Go ahead and stand, because I really want you to hear this before we start singing. In just a few minutes, as we're singing, if you feel like coming to pray, come pray. There's, there's, there's some of us prayer partners in the room. We'll come pray with you. We don't want any pressure. But if this altar is open. It's always open for you to bring whatever your need is, whatever your need is for someone else. Here's what I want, I want for you to think about today. Who is God putting on your heart that you've kept at arm's length? It may be a family member. Maybe you had a falling out with somebody. Or maybe it's somebody that you've put at arm's length because they are a different color or of a different social status. And maybe God's moving on you right now and convicting you. You know what? I need you to make that relationship right. Romans 12 says that whatever hinges on you, depends on you, be at peace with all men. And I don't know any better way to proclaim the hope of Christ than to model it in how we restore the relationships that are in our life. And here's the truth, guys. You may go and try, and they reject you. You know what? That's okay. God will give you peace and comfort in the midst of that pain. But I think in this room, some of us today, we're wrestling with it. There's people that we've kept at arm's length way too long. So, Father, as we ask you to work in our life to show us those people in our life that we need to make right with, I pray, that you would work mightily, that you would open doors. God, help them to not feel shame. That's, that's not what they need to feel. I just pray they feel the calling of God to be obedient, that whatever they need to do, that they would do it. Lord, move in our midst. Put on our heart what we can do to go out into a lost and dying world to share the hope of Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.